0: Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different people come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This season, we are talking about the book of Habakkuk and what it looks like to practice faithful, unconditional wrestling with God. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining my co-host Aaron and me in conversation today are Lori Myers and Shannon Myers, and we are glad to have the two of y'all with us. And Lori, you're going to tell us a little bit about how you and Shannon know each other and why you share the same last name.
1: Shannon is married to my son Paul and she's the mother, excellent mother, of four of my six grandchildren.
0: Yeah, when did they get married? In May of
2: 2007.
0: Right, did you know Shannon at all before her and Paul started dating?
1: Well,
2: during, not during, not before dating. Actually, yes, because when he invited me to Augusta, we were just friends. We were not dating. I did not think he liked me. I would not have come with him if he. If I knew he'd liked me.
0: <laughs> you would not have been as comfortable meeting the parents very true. if you thought he liked yeah. you. That's so very true. He kept that under wraps. How about that? Which That's always cool. makes it easier. Well, Lori, I include you in a story I always tell about how John and I met, my husband yes. and I met. But we were having lunch at your house. And after lunch, we stood and talked in the parking lot for a little bit. And he asked me to go to a concert. And I just was I was on cloud nine driving away that day just because I had always thought he was a neat guy. And one thing led to another. But I always attribute our lunch at your house is I the remember first that steps. I was
1: cleaning off the dining room table after you left. And as as I come in the dining room, I look at the window and oh, they're still there. And I take some <laughs> dishes back and I come to the dining room. Oh, they're still there. They're still there. <laughs> oh, that's
0: great. It was a good time. So I appreciate you setting us up un, unintentionally. Well, we are going to move on to our First Things First question, which we do at the beginning of every podcast. So you're going to answer the question and tell us a little bit more about yourselves. The First Things First question, I guess it goes along with our love theme, didn't intend, is what was your first heartbreak? And Shannon, you get to start us off on this one.
2: Hello, I'm Shannon Myers. I'm 39 years old and I've been married to my husband, Paul, for 16 years. We have four kids. Their ages are 12, 10, 7, and 1. By training, I'm a pediatrician And almost three years ago now, I stepped away from private practice to prioritize our life and raising our children. Um, It's been a transition, but a beautiful one, for which I'm so thankful. So your question, um, what was my first heartbreak? Well, I remember back to when I was five years old, and it may not be as you're anticipating, but this little blonde-haired, blue-eyed little girl. But I was born to a single mom, and up until five years old, we lived with my grandparents, who I referred to as Mammy and Papa. Well, when I was five, my mom married my dad who adopted me. And though it was a joyous event for everyone, I was absolutely heartbroken because I was moving away from my grandparents. Mm -hmm. I just remember sobbing at their wedding and I didn't understand why the change needed to happen. But that was my first heartbreak. Sorry to be such a Debbie Downer on the first question, but you did ask heartbreak. I did <laughs> ask heartbreak. That was truthfully the first one. So. Yes. It's, it's hard
0: to not be Debbie Downer when it's a heartbreak. And that sweet little five-year-old heart that would have known those grandparents as part of your life mm, and yeah. not have been able to see that this new love could be anything good because right. it was pulling you, pulling you away. How far away from them did you move?
2: Oh, an hour and a half. Okay. Yeah. But I was five. so but still, was, yeah. You know, <laughs> across the globe. Yeah. -hmm. Which says a lot
0: for their impact in your life.
2: Yeah. My grandfather led me to the Lord when I was five. So I have a great relationship with them.
0: Yeah, that's great. What about you, Lori?
2: Michael and I moved to Augusta in the
1: 90s. So we've been in the church a long time and raised our children here. I mean, they were a little bit older, junior high, high school. But my husband is retired now. So that's who we are. Well, as I was thinking about heartbreaks, I went back to junior high and high school because that was those are the first heartbreaks I ever even remember, and it was always related to other people, you know, seeking other people's attention. Like I wanted to be elected to something, or I wanted to be chosen for something, or I wanted to be included in something, and I wasn't. Yeah. So those were the first beginnings of, of heartbreaks is the rejection of other people.
0: Yes. Which you feel keenly in middle school and high school.
3: Definitely, Laurie, resonating with some of that middle school sadness of just not getting my way, like be, being really heartbroken by being left out or not winning the thing. Super competitive. Amber, we've talked about this before. I think I used all my competitiveness up as a youth. And I definitely remember having some of those moments. of it's just like, ah, I didn't win. That's really sad. But Shannon, just hearing you tell that story, I remember when my granddad died, I was probably in... Gosh, maybe second grade. I was little Bo Peep in a play. It's funny how you have those very specific memories around these early times when it is that startlingly heartbreak time. And he was super, I was super close to him and my grandmother. He would take me to Hardee's and I would get the little biscuit with the smiley face sticker. Did they do that in Augusta? No, maybe not. (laughs) Um, So just some really special memories with him. And I remember when he died, just feeling really sad, mainly for myself, but also for my mom just in that moment. And, yeah, it's funny how those memories of sadness stick with us. Mm. And now I'm just going to have to go with the shallow little boy who broke my heart. (laughs) It's great.
0: None of y'all went there, but I am going to go there. His name was Jonathan, and I have written down lighthouse, which is not right, like, it wasn't Lightfoot either. It was something along those lines which shows how deeply he broke my heart that I cannot remember his last name. But we liked each other in fifth grade and it was Valentine's Day and I decided I was going to get him a present so I walked myself to the little drugstore that was just about a quarter mile from my house and I bought a bag of Hershey Kisses which is really romantic because you know Kisses So romantic and forward too It is a little little (laughs) forward and I got home and I'm a big chocolate fan and I'm a big candy fan and my mom really wouldn't let me have a lot of candy growing up. So I just couldn't resist the temptation to open the bag of Hershey Kisses and eat a few. And then I guess my fifth grade self thought if I tied it up with a ribbon, He'd never noticed that somebody had opened it. I don't know. But I gave him the same bag I had opened for my Valentine's present. And we were not girlfriend and boyfriend for very long after that. And I don't know if I would classify it as a heartbreak. But it is that at that age, it's that sense of a little bit of rejection. Like, oh, all of a sudden, you don't want to be my boyfriend anymore. Because you ate
3: his chocolate. Because I
0: ate his chocolate. (laughs) And at that age, I think you just don't really know what to expect at that age. And so you're kind of naively thinking that. This is just going to work out. And you don't sort of see the heartbreak coming. And I tell you that because it's going to be our little segue into Habakkuk, because we are in a portion of Habakkuk today where God is going to say something to him that Habakkuk just did not see coming. And in some ways, breaks his heart. Uh, it really is very hard for him to hear that the words that the Lord has for him. If you've been listening along with us, that you'll know that this little book, this three-chapter book, has a pattern. And basically, Habakkuk approaches the Lord— First, and this is unique in the books of the prophets in the Bible, it's unique that you see Habakkuk approaching God first. Oftentimes, God comes to the prophet, gives them a word, and then that prophet communicates this word, that word. But in this case, Habakkuk approaches God first. And it's also important to note that Habakkuk calls his approach an oracle that God gave him, something that he saw. So God gave Habakkuk the words to approach him with complaint. So Habakkuk goes to God with his complaint. God answers. Habakkuk complains about God's answer God answers again, and then Habakkuk worships. And today we are in the portion of this book in which Habakkuk is speaking back to God, his second complaint. How could you possibly answer my first complaint the way that you are going to answer it? Habakkuk's initial complaint has been within my nation, within the nation of Israel, everything seems to be corrupt. We've left our covenantal roots. The results is the fact that the law seems to be bound. It never goes forth. There's social injustice. Our leadership are corrupt. And we've just gone into moral depravity. There's conflict, violence everywhere. Lord, when are you going to look at your people who you've promised to bring redemption through? When are you going to look at us and bring about change? And that's Habakkuk's initial complaint and God says to him, I'm going to do something in your day you would not believe, even if I told you, but let me tell you. And he basically says, I am bringing this powerhouse, this world power, Babylon, and they are going to overthrow your nation, the nation of Judah. And they're not just anybody. They are ruthless. They seem to be unstoppable. They are wicked. They are basically all the uh, things that you can imagine. And Habakkuk is saying here, what? What? How is that an answer? We're going to start reading in chapter 1, verse 11. This is Habakkuk. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net, and he burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Aaron, talk to us a little bit about some of the things that you see in
3: this passage. All right. So I love that Habakkuk is the earnest servant that he is. He opens up his second complaint with a declaration of praise. Are you not from everlasting? Oh, Lord, my God, my holy one. So he's acknowledging right off the rip. Lord, I, know, I think I know who you are. And I think that you are a holy one. And what you're telling me seems in flagrant opposite, opposition to who I've known you to be, to what I've perceived your character to be. I don't get it. Like, he's frustrated. You can read the, dare I say, anger in the room. Like mm-hmm. And he's taking that to the Lord. I think we talked about this in the last couple of podcasts, like how we deal with our tough hands that were dealt, like when we take that to the Lord, like how that brings life and freedom, even if we don't get the answers, even if there's some mystery there. And here we see Habakkuk, he's hashing it out with the Lord. Like, I don't think this makes sense with who I know you to be. Like turning us over to the most wicked people that I know in my universe doesn't seem like the God that I've known Mm -hmm. in ages past. What I was asking you for was to give us the kingdom uh, that you've promised. I, I thought I was asking you for good kings over Judah. That's what I was crying out for deliverance for. But instead, you said that you're going to bring in the Babylonians for chastisement. Like that doesn't add up. So he's taking his complaint to the Lord and... I think part of part of it is he's just like getting it off his chest and telling the Lord, like, I don't know what to make of this. And also just help me help me understand and help me make sense of what's going on here. So it's a plea for mercy, even in his complaint.
0: Habakkuk knew God and he knew him in his lifetime and he knew the history of God's people. It wouldn't be the first time mm-hmm. that Habakkuk has seen God allow nations to defeat yeah. Israel because yeah. of their sin. But I think the intensity of the wickedness of mm. Babylon to Habakkuk, it just seems so incongruent. How could God look on that and and ordain that? Mm. And if he is who he says he is, how could he possibly utilize this kind of evil? And mm-hmm. we've talked about this before too, but he goes to God with his complaints first. And like you said, dare, say I, dare I say anger? Yeah, I think he's angry. And yet he's angry to God. Mm-hmm. He's not expressing his anger about God other places, yeah. but he is going straight to the source.
3: Yeah. We're so uncomfortable with that. Yeah. Just be taking our anger to the Lord. I feel like most of us do struggle with that. But I think this is just a pathway and a model to say that this is good and healthy and right to take our anger of injustice in the world to the Lord. Yeah. When well, you got to remember, this is the oracle that Habakkuk saw
0: Like God gave his prophet these words to record so that we would know how to approach him Mm -hmm. with our own emotions. What did y'all think, Lori and Shannon, as you read through this? What were some curiosities or things that either surprised you or interested you that stuck out to you in this passage?
1: Yes, I like what Aaron was saying. That's true. And Habakkuk doesn't give up on God, even though he doesn't understand. Yeah he's continuing to come back and to come back. And he seems to take the stance that Peter took in in John 6, where he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So Habakkuk isn't saying,
0: I don't like what I'm seeing here, so I'm leaving God. Mm-hmm. He's coming back and he's coming back.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Which is a big difference. You could either say, I'm not going to say anything about God and kind of hide all of that and mm-hmm. sort of have a self-righteous, sort of, because I never say anything God approves of me. Or you can say, you know what, I'm going to say everything to God, and because He doesn't meet my expectations, I'm out of here. And so sometimes people tend to fall on one of those two sides, but to have that I'm not going anywhere, and I am going to bring myself to the Lord in honesty, to hold those two together doesn't always happen.
2: Yeah, for me, Habakkuk's heart cry in this passage just felt very familiar, not because I had just done an extensive study on Habakkuk, but because of recent personal life experiences. So in the past four years, we've seen quite a bit of suffering. First, just being helpless onlookers as Paul's mom and dad endured their own medical diagnoses with treatments and surgeries and the aftermath of all that. But then it became firsthand suffering when Paul needed open-heart surgery and then the first of which didn't turn out as we had hoped. And so then there was a second open-heart surgery, which was necessary a few months after our fourth child was born. So we've been in many situations where I similarly complained And accused and questioned God's character and his promises for us through the events that were surrounding us. And now, granted, I'm also faced a little bit with my selfishness as I'm thinking about Habakkuk reaching out to God in his anger about the injustice to an entire people group. And my little life is just such a tiny little microcosm, but it just so stirs me, all of the injustices or or things that happen. But it was interesting to me that Habakkuk looks to and places the responsibility for the events in this particular time in history— on God himself. So if we look at all the verses where Habakkuk addresses God, you, are you not from everlasting? You have ordained them. You, a rock, have established them. Why do you idly look at the traitors and why do you remain silent? You made mankind. And So just Habakkuk placing the onus of responsibility on God, recognizing God, you are the one allowing, you have ordained, you have planned this. And so just kind of giving it back to God, like, mm-hmm. you know, answer.
0: Yeah, we're, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that with this next question. Because when he does say at that beginning, are you not from everlasting? Oh, Lord, my God, my Holy One. Listening to Tim Keller preach on this sermon he said the way that that is written is such that it's a border it's it's more like a hypothetical accusation question the force in which that's delivered is such that that habakkuk is almost saying it uh, in a way that challenges who god is so and like i've already said he decides he's going to take that challenge to god himself as opposed to going other places with it. And does that challenge you as you think about the own, your own questions and sometimes challenges that you have for the Lord? How does the fact that Habakkuk goes to God with those challenge or encourage you to do the same? Can you can you give a specific example?
2: Yeah, so interestingly enough, the Lord has brought this exact thing to my attention three times in the mm-hmm. past month. So I'll give you one example. But... It just the Lord like revealed to me like how tempted I am to cry out and look for guidance from other people, because it feels more tangible and fixable, more instantaneous, then if that fails, then to just silence my cries and deal with it internally, rather than to cry out to the one who can handle my requests, my heartaches, my complaints and fears. Um, I was reading a devotional in the last couple of weeks and by Paul David Tripp, and he wrote, "If you cry to people instead of God, you will be asking those people to do what only God can do." They will feel overwhelmed and unable, and you will grow more desperate. If you silence your cries, crying only to yourself, you will feel increasingly alone and without anyone who cares and understands, and you will feel more and more helpless. Mm-hmm. And the Lord spoke those gave those words to me on the day that I had been doing those things, looking for help in other places, or just trying to deal with it silently to myself. And it's kinda like he just said, Shannon, it's me. Cry out to me. One one small example is We have a close neighbor with whom we've been building a relationship with over the past year, and I desperately want them to see and know Jesus. Well, something came up in their lives over the summer where they they shut us out completely, and we went from almost daily communication to none. like No friendly waves while passing each other on the road, no driveway meetups, no texts, no here, try this, literally nothing. And I was patient for a couple weeks. Then I started to, to fear that I had unintentionally offended them, that I had annoyed them, or Maybe that I had just completely ruined my chance to try to share the gospel with them. And I was just really discouraged. I had no idea what was what was wrong. So I went on a walk one morning, and I was completely discouraged about it. And I became really frustrated at the Lord. And I was saying things in my head to the Lord like, I have one job on this earth, and it's to share your good news and your love and and to serve my neighbors and to love others and share the gospel. And I'm trying to do that, and I love these people, and I've been, why? You know, like, God, what? What else do you want me to do? You know, like, this is what you've called me to do. What would you, like, show up for me? Like, or tell me why? Would you give me some clarity? Why is this happening? Well, in God's kindness, he um, actually showed up immediately after that prayer. I was literally pushing my stroller and having this conversation with the Lord. I was so frustrated. But interestingly enough, my neighbor was actually walking ahead of me but coming down a hill. So we were about to become aware of each other's presence. And so I hesitatingly kind of waved and did like a half— smile kind of thing and she invited me up to walk where she was and in that moment she just started pouring out to me this trauma that their family had experienced Mm -hmm. and she just started crying and naturally then i started crying and then i just put my arm around her and and we just started praying and it was really special but it was also like really humbling for me from the lord because i just felt so ashamed like he's from everlasting and i'm impatient with a couple weeks of no answers i was so grateful that god had answered me And so relieved that I hadn't messed up. And then I also couldn't help but feel ashamed to be so impatient with the Lord. I mean, he is from everlasting and I can't even tolerate a couple of weeks without answers, but grateful that he answered that complaint at that time. Well, and don't you love the fact
0: that that's the complaint he put in your heart is to say, Lord, this is who you are and this is what you've given me to do. And I don't understand why if this is who you are and what you've given me to do, why I have been prevented from doing it. And I know two weeks isn't a very long time and we do get impatient much more quickly. And there is something to learn about Waiting on the Lord, but at the same time, just to know that, well, how great that that's your complaint, you know, to take yeah. to the Lord, and that you want to see Him do that, and that He honored that with that exact interaction, that immediate interaction with your neighbor, to show you I care about these things too. You're right. This is who I am.
1: Yeah, Amber, I liked what you said about the disrespectful nature because I read the same thing about what Habakkuk is saying to God and how really disrespectful that mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. but it shows the grace of god that habakkuk knows he can actually speak to god that way and god's still gonna love him mm-hmm. and i love that our his love for us is not conditional it's unconditional mm-hmm. so we can come to him with these emotions with our anger you know we could pour it out we can emote but god loves us it's like our salvation does not depend on what we do and this love from god is not dependent on what we do we can talk to him about anything and in any way pour it out there
3: Yeah, I like how um, right in the, the I mentioned in the beginning how he points out or he calls the Lord, Lord, my God, the Holy One. And then following that, he calls him my rock. And so obviously he's hyperlinking to some um, Moses language where we've known or the people of God, the Israelites have known God to be dependable and a protector. And so even in that moment of his frustration and his anger, he's saying, Lord, you are the, the sovereign one. You're the one who's protecting me. You're the only one who's dependable. You're the one who is seeing all things that happen throughout all of eternity. So I think that he is confused And he can't, in his little finite mind, as we find ourselves, he cannot reconcile what he hears from the Lord and how he sees things playing out in his current time. He can't make sense of that. But he's also playing the long game of, I know that there is an eternal purpose in view and he's resting in that promise. And so I think even as we see this inner turmoil for Habakkuk, we see him also just resting in God's faithfulness and asking him to show that to him, to reveal that to him. So he's really just asking the Lord, like, help me see who you are. Help me to know you better. As we think about how, of course, there's no way for us in our 70, 80, 90 years that we're going to have on this earth to know the fullness of who the Lord is, what is it that underlies the questions that are racing through our minds when we are falling asleep at night or when we're in those hard spaces? Is it skepticism or unbelief, or is it a humble search to know God better? And if you've struggled with skepticism, share with us maybe some portions of scripture or insights or people that have helped you move toward a humble search instead. I think with Habakkuk,
1: he didn't have the perspective, and that helps me to realize that I don't have the perspective, the long view. Um, Habakkuk did not know that the spread of Christianity would be based on the Jews being taken in exile up to Babylon, and some of them did come back to Jerusalem, but most of them stayed up there and they established churches, and so later, when after Christ died and the gospel began to spread, there were places that it spread throughout the ancient world and throughout the ancient Roman world, and Habakkuk didn't know that, so he didn't have that perspective. So when he heard this bloodthirsty nation was going to come overtake them, all he's thinking about is the terrible effect it would have on him and his family and his friends and his his nation. And so that helps me when I think, I don't have the perspective. And I love that. I think it was Paul that quoted in Acts, quoted this part of Habakkuk. I'm going to do something in your day that you're not going to, to realize. And um, he's talking, I think, about the crucifixion. The, the disciples saw Jesus crucified and thought, how can this be good? This is terrible. And yet there was a greater plan working of salvation for all mm-hmm. of us. And so then I place myself now, what is it that I don't see that's going on? That I, The bottom line is that we trust God because God is sovereign. Habakkuk pointed that out. So what he's doing is good. He loves mm-hmm. us. He wants our best. And he's working a, a, a great plan. We trust
3: him in that. Even you mentioned that reference made me think of the hyperlink into Isaiah where he's saying you're you're making a way in the wasteland and streams in the desert. And it is only our God brings life from death. So I think that's kind of what you're pulling out is that even when things look dark and grim, like you were referencing the cross, like the darkest moment of history, there's life coming from that moment just exploding forth. I and mean, it's hard for us as finite creatures to to really get a hold of, of that.
2: Well, I certainly wish my questioning towards God sprung from my humble search to know him more, and I desperately hope that as I mature in my faith that I'll be like that and just understand my own limited view and that my desire will become um, or my desire for answers from the Lord will become the dominant force for my questions of the Lord, but I have certainly struggled with skepticism, and I believe that the skepticism is from my own finite naivety of who God is and His greatness, just like Lori was describing, and just my limited my limited view. Well, you asked me what what helps with the skepticism. About a year ago, Mike Heron told a story um, during one of his sermons of a young man running in a dark alleyway, and this young man eventually found himself at a dead end, outnumbered on his knees at the mercy of a gang, and he described this young man hanging his head and said to his attackers, do your worst. Well, Pastor Heron's point was that we are like this young man, except that we're at the mercy of a sovereign and a holy, good heavenly father who calls us, his followers, to surrender to him and his plans, for they are for our good. Well, during our own recent difficulties, I found myself many times weak and on my knees and with my head bowed and hands quietly surrendered, saying, not my will, but yours. What else have I to do or where else have I to go? And one other thing that has helped me when I have struggled with skepticism is this beautiful quote that was shared by a friend, and this quote is from Charles Spurgeon, and it says, I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages.
0: Hmm. Why was that helpful to you?
2: I think because what Lori was saying, when your perspective shifts from just like the here and now and understanding that there's this great plan of redemption that God has already finished because of Jesus Christ, so we're just waiting for the end, for Jesus to return, when our minds can focus on there and when our hearts are set on that, then these waves that just come out of surprise and painful waves, we, we learn to kiss them. We learn to appreciate the hardships that draw us closer to our rock, our God. And so I can certainly say now more than I would have been able to say four years ago that I can appreciate hardships when they come and not have these knee-jerk reactions. My faith is stronger than it would have been. Um, On the other side, now on the other side.
0: We see the importance of having known the Lord over your life. And as you move along, the further you go along, the more you know. The importance of having someone in your life who's gone further than you have and whose perspective is broader. And then, of course, God's whole redemptive story itself that spans the course of all the history that we know, uh, that helps broaden our perspective. And we see that whole redemption story told from the beginning until now. And we have a glimpse of what it's going to be like in fulfillment. And so to look through that perspective does change how we interpret the things that are hard. And yet at the same time, it doesn't mean they're not hard. And I think sometimes with skepticism where we can get thrown or I can anyway, is to think, to question anything is wrong, but to question what we keep learning here, to question God saying, I need you to tell me. Like after Habakkuk says this, he's going to say, I'm going to station myself at my Mm -hmm. post and I'm going to wait to see what you have to say, because I need you to say something to me that I can't say to myself. And I think maybe sometimes with my skepticism, my problem is I need you to prove that you are who I think you are, that you will do what I think you will do. And I have just an innate trust in my own perspective that I'm pretty sure I know. And it does take a while in some years to admit, I didn't know. I thought this, but I just didn't know. But then I think sometimes it doesn't take the way, some things are just plain hard. And I don't think God expects us to interpret them any differently. Death and sickness and heartbreak and all of the things that we experience in a broken world, they are hard. And so even while we can say, Lord, we believe you have good for us in this, we really are touched by and we mourn this and we struggle in this. And the Lord doesn't disdain that. I think he brings comfort to us in that as we bring that to him. And of course, one of the big ways we receive that comfort is we can always look through the lens of the cross to say, Lord, you know personally what it is to suffer and you have proven that you can bring the ultimate good through evil and that you designed to do so. You have shown that about yourself. You have shown that you are in this with us. I know personally what it is for you to comfort me in this. As I go from one thing to another in those trials, would you continue to show yourself to me so that you can then answer my questions along the way? But sometimes we sit in unanswered questions Mm -hmm. and, you know, right here in this passage, it's hard for us to just leave it here, but Habakkuk doesn't, he doesn't go to, praise or to feeling good or he just ends it and now i'm gonna wait and and he'll get to praise later but sometimes you sit in it for a little while
3: mm-hmm. yeah i think one of my top 10 prayers is just what it reminded me what you're saying amber is just lord show me what's real but mm-hmm. if, it, if it's bad feedback towards what I've done or a hard circumstance in my life. It's just, uh, you can't make sense of it. And it is just, you don't always get the answer. It's not always like that mathematical diagram of these are how the plans are going and it's good. It's for my glory and it's good for you. Like there's not always that clear cut uh, moment of how this is working out in real time, but I think that's why it's so important. We brought it up several times, just having that eternal view of, um, our own personal history and the history of how the Lord is at work.
0: Very much so. Well, Lori and Shannon, thank you both for joining us today. Listeners, we hope you'll join us again next week. You can let us keep you company while you putter around your house or load the dishwasher. Exciting stuff. Lori Codara and Alicia Byers will be joining us to talk about Habakkuk 2, 1 through 5. We hope you'll listen in. Sometimes a light
2: surprises the Christian wife, she sings It is the Lord who rises With healing in His wings When comforts are declining He grants the soul again A season of pure shining To cheer it after the rain